passage of scripture for us this morning. And so we are going to be in the book of James. And uh, if you would turn there with me, if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in James chapter one. We're going to begin in verse 19. James 1, 19, and I'm going to kind of, we're going to jump around a couple different sections of James's letter, but we'll start in 1, 19. James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Skipping down to verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're going to jump over to chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's word. Thanks, Logan. Good morning to each of you. You know, several years ago, I realized that I grew up in a family in which every single one of us ended up talking for a living. So my dad was a pastor. My mom was a high school Latin teacher. Uh, My oldest brother is an attorney. My next brother taught in international schools, high schools all over the world his entire career. I'm standing up here talking. And my younger brother is a math professor in a small liberal arts college up near Boston. When I, when I realized we all talk for a living, I said, that 
explains a lot. When we get together, we just talk and talk and talk, and after a while, there's not enough oxygen in the room. I mean, we just, we just, just exhaust the place. My wife, on the other hand, uh, my long-suffering wife, she grew up in a, a less verbal house, and the first time she came over for a, for a meal, she was just shell-shocked. I mean, we're just so aggressive in the way we come at each other with our words, the way we talk to each other, talk over each other, talk about each other. And all that to say, I grew up not thinking about my words. I, I didn't have any thoughts about what I should say and what I shouldn't say, like maybe some of you. I just grew up saying whatever came to my mind. Let the chips fall where they may. I grew up saying what I wanted, how I wanted to say it. But consequently, I developed some, some rather careless and, and in some ways, some very foolish ways of speaking. I mean, some deeply ingrained habits. And those habits are incredibly hard to change. <clears throat> and that's because of what we talked about last week in Matthew 12, namely that our words flow from our hearts. So if you want to get rid of foolish words, you need to have the foolishness expunged from your heart. If you want to, if you want to get rid of harsh, cutting words, you need to let God do something about the anger, the bitterness, the, the vengeance that's in your heart. <clears throat> Today we're going to consider these three passages that, that Logan read from the book of James, and they warn, about, warn us about uh, uh, the foolish ways of speaking. <clears throat> and in light of the fact that our words flow from our hearts, we shouldn't merely think that James is giving us here like conversational techniques. If you just do these things, you will just be dandy when it comes to your speech. Now, if we're going to heed what James is saying in these passages, we're going to have to allow God to do a deep, deep work in our hearts. And uh, I'll, I'll try to point out some of the heart changes implicit in each passage. But I want to admit up front that these passages are largely negative. They're, they're talking about warnings, things to avoid. And so these scriptures about the tongue are largely, not, whole, not completely, but they're largely profitable when it comes for correction and reproof. Next week, Sam will be teaching about Ephesians, from Ephesians 2, 29, or 4.29, which gives a positive vision for our words. And so that verse will, will be primarily profitable for teaching and for training in righteousness. <clears throat> well, the first warning involves hearing, speaking, and anger. <clears throat> James 1, look at verse 19. James writes, know this, my beloved brothers. He's saying, I love you, okay? But know this. Let every person, not just a few people, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If we are going to be a mature church, every one of us, not just a select few, but every one of us needs to heed what James says in this passage. He says, quick, slow, slow. So first of all, be quick to hear. If you're quick to hear, you are eager to get 
what somebody is saying. You might even lean forward. It might affect your, your body language, your, your posture. And you want to understand not just the words they're speaking. You want to get their meaning. You want to go underneath and behind. And you really want to understand what that person is saying. And if you're quick to hear, you'll show it in all sorts of ways. Uh, number one, you will seem interested to the person because you are interested in the person. You legitimately care about what the person is saying. Again, we'll show it with our facial expressions, our body language. We'll ask thoughtful questions. We'll show it in all sorts of ways. Proverbs 1.5 says that wise people are skillful in hearing. The wise hear and increase in learning. We tend to think that wise people uh, know everything. That's why they're wise. Well, wise people do know things but they're also teachable. They're also eager to listen so that they can learn more. So James says, be quick to hear. Second, be slow to speak. Whereas we're to be quick and eager to hear, we're to pause before we speak. We don't just say the first thing that comes to our mind. We don't just let words pour out of our, our mouths unfiltered because what, we, what comes out of our mouths, it may not be true. It may not be kind. It may not meet the need of the moment. And so we should be very careful about what we say. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot, the, the missionary from years and years ago, she said, you should taste your words before you speak them. Taste them, savor them. Is this a good thing? Does this taste good? Should I even say this? Proverbs 18, 13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. And third, be slow to anger. And James seems to imply here that when we're quick to speak, we're especially prone to saying angry words. Of course, anger, anger can be expressed in many different ways. Uh, we, usually, we usually say, oh, I'm, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated, or something like that. But anger can show up in sarcasm, in uh, insults, snide remarks, raising your voice, all sorts of different ways. Anger comes across. Be slow to anger. And he tells why in verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So anger is not always a sin. We need to admit that. There are at least a couple of occasions when Jesus was angry. And the Bible does acknowledge that there is, is a thing, uh, we call it righteous indignation, where we feel the same anger that God feels about some issue or some situation. There is legitimate righteous indignation or righteous anger, but the dominant overwhelming emphasis in Scripture concerning human anger is that our anger is most often sinful, destructive, and the opposite of what the Spirit wants to manifest in our lives. That's the dominant view of, of, of human anger in the Scripture. So we shouldn't give ourselves a pass too quickly. Well, this is righteous anger. Well, maybe, but probably not. Most anger is... Sinful, destructive, and the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
For example, in, in Galatians 5.20, uh, outbursts of anger is listed as one, of, as one aspect of the deeds of the flesh, whereas just a couple verses later, patience, which is long-suffering or slow to anger, is mentioned as an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And James says the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness or the justice of God. It does not produce what God wants in the life of the person who's anger, angry or in the life of the people who experience that anger. A better course of action is to imitate God, whom we are told over and over and over again, is slow to anger. That's a good thing, right? He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. If you make God angry, you have accomplished something, okay? Because God is slow to anger. How should we? How can we be anything else? He's been slow, so slow to anger toward us. How can we be quick to anger? No, we're, we're slow to anger. And so if we are true disciples of Jesus, we will be passionate about knowing and doing the will of God. And since anger does not accomplish the will of God, if we're disciples of Jesus, we will be passionate about being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger because we actually care about the will of God in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And so what we're talking about here is a, a core aspect of our discipleship. So again, you'll probably get tired of me saying this, but this is not a technique. You're not quick, slow, slow, so that it'll be your turn and now you can really have a platform. No, that's, that's not the point here. On a heart level, we should want to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger because the anger of God doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. So let me ask you a heart-level question. Think about the people in your life. When it comes to the people in your household, the people you live with, when it comes to your friend group, when it comes to uh, your coworkers, it comes to people in your neighborhood, when it comes to the random people you encounter all over this town during the week, do you want God's best for them? Do you legitimately want God's best for them? Do you, do you want them to experience the righteousness, the justice of God? If you do, you will be passionate about investing spiritual energy to desire and learn to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I'll just tell you, my experience is pretty rare when you find people that actually embody this. It, it is rare. It's so rare that it's striking when you walk away from a conversation and somebody has been quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What normally happens, again, just my experience, is that one person shares something. Sometimes it's something pretty deep, pretty vulnerable. And instead of people being quick to hear and drawing them out and wanting to understand and, and empathize with them, they say, oh, that happened to you? And then they start talking about themselves or they hear what you say and they redirect the conversation some, some totally other way and the person who's been vulnerable, the person who shared, just feels unheard, unvalued. But if you're a person who is quick to hear and you... you lock in on what somebody's trying to say, and you ask insightful questions, and you reflect, and you just don't talk too much, 
that person's going to walk away feeling, man, I feel heard. I feel understood. I feel respected. I feel loved. And so that's what happens, again, not when we have this conversational technique, but when we legitimately care about what other people are saying because we care about that person's heart. Words flow from our hearts. And so, number one, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is pretty intense, isn't it? Okay. Power down. Here we go. Number two, the second warning involves controlling our tongue. James keeps coming right at us. It's like you, you got a duck. It's just kind of high and tight when he, he says these things to us. Verse 26, he says that failure to control our speech reveals something sobering about that person's faith. He says in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And so James has us imagine this person. And there, there are two things true about this person. This person thinks that they're religious. And we, when we hear the word religious, we might think of self-righteousness. But that's not the connotation. It's just this person is devout or, or they are pious. In our day, uh, people might more commonly say, I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. I care about the unseen, uh, material, the unseen world. I, I, I care about deeper things. Or it may even be a person who says, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a devoted follower of him. And so he says, on the one hand, imagine this person. They says, I'm, I'm that person. My faith care, I care about my faith. But on the other hand, this person does not bridle their tongue. And in the Bible, the bridle is an, an image for uh, something that controls. A bridle controls a horse. It directs it. And so here you have a person who cannot control their tongue. They, they don't bridle what they say. They just spout words. James says, when you find somebody who says, I'm religious, but they can't bridle their tongue, James says, his words, not mine, he says, that person deceives his own heart, and that man's religion is worthless. It's not worth anything. You're self-deceived in heart if you think that you can simultaneously be God-honoring and have an unbridled tongue. Those two things cannot coexist in the same person. And why? You think, wait, just, we're just talking about words. What's the big deal? Our words reflect our hearts. That's the big deal. God cares about the heart. God's looking for people whose hearts are fully his. In chapter 3, James will explain that an untamed tongue is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. If you go around poisoning people with your words, if you go around making people sick by the things that you say, you are not an asset to God. You are a liability. Paul said something similar in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, you can have all knowledge. You can have all wisdom. You can have all faith even. You can make incredible sacrifices. But if you don't have love, it profits you nothing. Lovelessness nullifies all these other virtues. And, and, and many times our lovelessness is expressed through our words. We speak words that are not patient, 
are not kind. We speak words that reflect that we hold grudges. We don't believe the best. We don't want the best for other people. So again, the brutal truth about our words is that if we cannot control our tongue, our religion, our spirituality is worthless. And it's a matter of the heart. And I'm sad to say, but I've noticed this over and over down through the years. People who, on the face of it, you think, man, they've got so much to offer. They have this spiritual knowledge. They've got all this experience. They've done all these Christian things. And yet, because they don't bridle their tongue, they have little to no influence in the lives of other people. People don't want what they have to offer. They're like, okay, okay, I get it. You're impressive. But I can't hear a word you're saying because of what you say and how you say it. And there's a lot of intangibles here. But you can recognize it. When you, when you spot it, you can spot it a mile away. We don't have time to discuss in detail verse 27, but, but it, it's to the point. In contrast with the person whose religion is worthless, Here's the profile of a person whose religious religion is worth something. As a matter of fact, worth much to God. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, God values people who give tangible help to the vulnerable to the overlooked, and to people who keep themselves unstained by the world. There's very little time for people who say I'm spiritual, but they can't control their tongue, but people who show compassion, keep themselves unstained from the world, man, God takes notice. If you read the book of Proverbs, you'll find numerous verses that reinforce James' warning about controlling the tongue. Uh, just a couple here. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Proverbs nineteen or Proverbs ten nineteen says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. It will happen. But he who restrains his, his lips is wise. So again, the, 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 this isn't a technique where you just grit your teeth and you just white knuckle and you say, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going I'm to try to go three minutes before I even speak. Whereas internally you're seething and internally you just can't wait till you can show how brilliant you are and impress people with your knowledge and, or, or put somebody in their place or tell somebody off. No, that's not what James is talking about here. The the vision here is that we need to become people who internally, we simply don't need to talk so much. We don't feel the need to have the last word. We don't feel like I have to fight all my battles because who's going to fight for me? We don't think that anymore. We are contented people which have genuine contentment, we have self-control. Third, James warns against destructive words. 
This is a very sobering, even pessimistic warning about the tongue. I'll summarize all but just a couple of verses. Uh, James gives a warning to teachers in verse one. If you are, if you are, uh, if you teach scripture in any context, verse one should stop you in your tracks. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such you will receive a stricter judgment. I, I don't understand fully what that means, but that should stop us in our tracks. There's a lot at stake when people stand up and teach, so don't do that lightly. But then James points out that something very small can control something very large, like a small bit in the mouth of a horse can control it. Uh, a rudder, some very small, can control a large ship. It says in the same way, the tongue, it's a very small part of the body, and yet it controls the entire course of a person's life. And if we believe that, we would be absolutely serious, passionate about learning what we're talking about today. The, the, the younger you are, the more important you understand it now. You're in, you can listen to a person's words. If you listen long enough, you, you, can, you can pretty clearly see the entire course of that person's life. He says the tongue uh, is, is like a spark that can set an entire forest on fire. The tongue can be an, an instrument of incredible destruction. He says, the tongue is set on fire by hell, meaning that destructive, damaging words are one of Satan's core schemes. It's one of the things he uses most often to discourage and dissuade people from being genuine followers of Christ. In verse 8, James says, but no human being can tame the tongue. Do you believe that? You cannot tame your tongue. Impossible. It's too deadly, too rowdy, too powerful. He's leaving open the possibility that God can tame your tongue. God can renovate your heart to where your tongue speaks from this reservoir of wisdom and goodness, truth, and life. But unless God does that, we will just spew out deadly poison. It is a restless evil. It doesn't sit still very long. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. Our words will be death-dealing and not life-giving. And in verse 9, he says, that just should not be the case. He said, with it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, like we're doing here today in worship. We're blessing God. And with it, the same tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So if God's saying, I have created every single human being in my likeness, you should not go around cursing them. If you, if, if, you, you should not go around cursing them, especially if you're pouring out your praises to me. That's just wholly inconsistent, just hypocrisy of the highest order. Uh, say you have children, and I come to you, and I bless you, but I turn around, and I curse your child. What are you going to think about me? Well, that's pretty close to what God thinks about us. We bless him, and then we curse human beings made in his image. Cursing is the opposite of what God calls us to do. 1 Peter 3.9, for example, tells us, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. 
for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Most of the time we just feel fully justified uh, returning evil for evil and insult for insult. You mean to tell me they can say that to me, but I can't turn around and say that to them? Well, the answer is yes, that's what I'm telling you. That's what Scripture says. If you're a follower of Christ, no, that's not the way Christ treated people. We're to imitate him. He loved his enemies. He prayed for those who persecute him, persecuted him. When he was hanging on the cross, he didn't revile, but he blessed and he prayed for their forgiveness. It may feel good to return evil for evil, insult for insult, temporarily, but eventually your conscience will slay you and it's a, because it's a betrayal of your calling in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean, and I'm not saying it, and James is not saying it, doesn't mean you never talk to people about their offenses. What we're saying here, you don't act like the world. You don't play by their rules. You don't think I have a right to be vindictive just because people have been uh, such to me. No, we're followers of Christ. We want the, the will of God. We don't want to settle for the ways of the world. I will tell you some of the biggest regrets I have over the past 45 years. It was about almost 45 years ago this month when I came to Christ, started walking with him. Some of the biggest regrets I have are words that I've spoken, things that I've said to other people. Uh, many times it's just careless words. You know, I didn't mean it, but careless words. Sometimes it's been harsh words. Sometimes it's been self-promoting words. I, I've had to uh, apologize for my words more than anything else in my life as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as, as a brother in the body of Christ. And so James' warning about destructive words rings very, very true to me. I hope it does to you as well. And so here we have these three warnings. I want us to, to loop back to what we talked about last week. We talked about these three very simple responses to passages like this. Um, and I want to talk about them in this context again. The three things are pray, listen, and uh, treasure. When it comes to pray, last week I encouraged you to pray what David prayed at the end of Psalm 139. He just gave God the green light. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Show me if there's anything in me. You know everything. Show me what there is in me that needs to be changed. I want to know. I want to add another prayer this week. It's found in Psalm 141.3. David says, set, <laughs> this, this is a great prayer. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's as if God is saying, God, I want you to post armed guards in front of my mouth so that if I have this, this urge to say something, uh, something evil or wrong or, or, or hurtful, I don't want it to escape and go commit a crime. I want you to, to guard the doors of my mouth. And that's a prayer that I've, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed it. I try to pray it every Sunday morning when I'm driving here. Um, 
It's about a seven-minute commute for me. And uh, over the course of four to five hours, I'll have 10 to 20 conversations, little brief interactions with people. But so often I'll wake up on Sunday morning or uh, Monday morning and I'll go, why did I say that? Why did I have to, to, to keep talking? I said more than I wanted to. I try to pray it before I go to meetings. I try to pray it before I hang out with friends. It's a great prayer. The premise behind that prayer is that our words need to be restrained because of the damage that they can do. So pray, then listen. Listen to the conversations you have this week. Don't be afraid of this. Uh, God is good. He's a good father. He knows how to discipline us. And uh, in light of what we learned this week, notice when you interrupt people. Notice when you fail to ask thoughtful questions when somebody shares something tender or shares something vulnerable with you. Notice when you, you honestly don't care what somebody is trying to tell you. Notice when you slander other people. It might be true, but if you are saying things to make others look bad in the eyes of others, that's slander. Or gossip. Uh, I like the, the definition, gossip is bearing bad news behind people's back out of a bad heart. And so we just gossip sometimes. Sometimes we want to make ourselves look good by comparison, or sometimes we just want to look like we're in the know. I know things, so I'll tell you things. Just don't tell anybody. It's just between us. Or notice when you talk too much, you just dominate a conversation. So see where you need to grow in relation to these categories we've talked about today. Finally, treasure. Psalm 119.11, uh, the psalmist prayed, Your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. I would encourage you to actually memorize James 1.19 and 20. That's a scripture about being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of, God does not, or anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And so memorize it. Let God write it on your heart so that it shines the light on every conversation. Instead of it being an afterthought, I'm walking away and I'm like, oh, I should have been quick to hear. No, as you go into the conversation, let that scripture, excuse me, let that scripture inform. I have a little problem here. And so memorize that verse. I would also commend to you the book of Proverbs has much to say about the tongue and speaking. Well, let me invite the worship team to come back up now. We're going to sing this song, Yet Not I, But Christ Through Me, or Christ In Me. And this is a song that reminds us that any progress we're going to make in terms of honoring God with our lips, uh, it has to be Christ in us. And so if you're a follower of Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, God puts his very spirit within you. And so Christ in you can give you compassion in your heart. Christ in you can give you uh, self-control, can give you the ability to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Father, we pray that this week would be an amazing week for us in terms of our growth in conversation. We're all going to talk a lot this week. We're going to say things either that please you or that don't. We're going to be restrained or we're just going to be unbridled. And uh, God, we're asking you to do this work in our hearts. We cannot control our own tongues. And so 
We come before you humbly. We ask you, God, would you do this? In your kindness, um, reprove us. Show us the things that need to be mended, the things that need to be changed. And God, give us the power to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.